0: Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of Lead Travel Pray. My name is Sandy Schneider, and today, along with Michelle Strike and Rebecca Ellis, we'll be examining some common travel beliefs and doing some myth-busting today. Ladies, you ready to do some myth-busting? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so as we have shared before, we love to travel, and it's not uncommon for us to spend our free time perusing travel blogs and websites, reading up on new and exciting travel destinations. And, of course, looking for great deals, which Rebecca is particularly. (laughs) It is one of my talents, yes. (laughs) I know that for me, travel is certainly an area of passion. And so I find myself talking with people, friends, um, colleagues, anyone I run into. I tend to find myself talking to them about travel. New information that I have found and I love to hear about other people's travel experiences. Do you guys find yourself doing the same?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, um, I think that what makes the three of us a little unique is that we don't only ask about what they did on the trip, but we also ask about different things that they did to plan for it. <laughs> <laughs> like, where did you stay, what kind of deal did you get with that flight, What did you go because you got a good deal, um, how did you find it, that sort of thing. And so it's fun to kind of dig into not just what they did and what I would want to do if I were there and lessons learned, but also how to plan my next trip.
2: Yeah, I agree. I um, definitely have a few things on my bucket list that I intentionally kind of research and look at. But, um, also since I joined next vacay, which I definitely recommend it's $25 a year and they send you good flight deals. Um, since I've joined that, it's actually made me think about other places that I wouldn't have probably otherwise went to like our trip to Lisbon, um, this past fall was because that deal came through um, the same with Amsterdam in the spring. So, um, I look at, I guess, feeds and other things to help me think outside the box with where to go next.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Loving to hear about travel deals, other people's experiences, and, of course, to your point, Michelle, the planner in me loves any tips or tricks about how to plan a um, a better or more efficient trip. Mm -hmm. So in these conversations, sometimes I hear people share beliefs, their, sometimes their fears, sometimes their hesitations, and certainly their personal opinions. And I sometimes wonder, wait, is this fact or just an opinion? How true is the statement that they just made? And so today we're going to be further exploring some of these travel ideas or opinions that are uh, found to be commonly held amongst people we talk to. And we're gonna challenge them and try to to examine, you know, are these things true Um, or are they myths? So today we're gonna be doing some myth busting. So let's get started. And we're gonna start at a high level. Let's say that you're chatting with a friend and they're sharing that they have the desire to take a big summer trip this summer and they're thinking about going to Europe. But out of your friend's mouth comes the statement, but it costs too much to travel to Europe. And it said like a factual statement, but is it really true? I don't know. Let's examine that. So Michelle, let's start with you. Have you heard this one? And if so, what do you think about it?
1: Yes, I have heard this one. And I think that People um, may think that it's more expensive than it is. Perhaps they researched years ago when flights were quite a bit more expensive and you didn't have all of the um, deals that could be emailed to you to watch for and things like that. So it may be like legacy information from 10 or 15 years ago, or maybe they just think that it's more expensive. However, um, if I look at what the cost of a flight is from the Midwest to the West Coast, I can oftentimes find a flight going to Europe that is about the same cost or cheaper. So I would say if you are used to traveling domestically via car, yes, it's more expensive. However, if you um, typically are looking at places that you would fly, You can find great deals to where it's not that much more expensive. Hotels oftentimes are very reasonable. So the same cost as what you would spend here, maybe even cheaper depending upon the time of year that you're going. If it's off season, I've definitely tried to travel to Europe in an off season and been able to get hotels for around a hundred dollars a night that are really, really nice. And, um, many of the tourist things that are there are are free or cheap like throughout europe a lot of their quote-unquote museums are actually churches and you can go into those for free and some of their museums for free whereas i would be paying for a lot of the things that i would be doing domestically on vacation
2: mm-hmm. yeah i totally agree with you michelle um it's been interesting as i think about um you know families in similar situations with us with school age children I'm confident that they are paying more for a week at Disney World than when I took my family to Paris and Iceland in a week. No doubt. No Mm -hmm. doubt. And so um, is it really more expensive? No. I mean, I've stayed in fabulous hotels that cost exactly the same as the Holiday Inn, you know, downtown here. Um, The other thing too I hear often is uh, we don't have enough time. Okay, so I just spent what I say, 53 hours in Iceland. We took a crazy Martin Luther King uh, weekend journey over there, and we were able to see so much um, in that amount of time. And I think a lot of people would say, well, I'm not going to take a trip to Europe unless I've got three weeks or two weeks. I never have that much vacation. Um, I've never been to Europe for more than a week. Um, now, we're, on spring break, we're going to spend, I think, nine days in Ireland. But Generally, especially for work, I'm in and out in two, three days. And even with work, I still get to see a lot. And so um, I would suggest people really try and um, break some of that mental model around the price and the time, um, because there's a lot of exploring that can be done really pretty effectively um, and, and inexpensively. And to Michelle's point with, with school age kids in particular, they can get almost everywhere for free. They, you know, my son and daughter saw the Mona Lisa for free. And for us, it was only like 18 Euro to get into the Louvre where Disney world, even in Europe was only $60 a day for us. U S here, it would have been twice that. Um, so yeah, definitely less expensive in some areas. And to Michelle's point, the flights have gotten very competitive. And, uh, again, a little plug for next vacay, not that we're sponsored by them or anything, but, um, (laughs) you know, we flew to Iceland for $202. I couldn't have got to Florida for that from Indiana. So it's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I, Rebecca
0: continue to be amazed by you and your Fifty three (laughs) hours. Yes. Um, And I think you're you're spot on. It's about breaking the mental model. Right. It's about challenging beliefs that we have that may have come from what somebody told us um, that that may not actually be true. Michelle, I like the point you made. It's expensive compared to what? If Mm -hmm. we know our family took a lot of driving vacations, we packed the tent, We pulled the the boat behind us and we went to a local lake and camped for a long weekend or maybe even for a week. Mm -hmm. That's typical vacation. Yeah, flying to Europe and spending some time in Europe is probably more expensive. But, Rebecca, to your point, no doubt, taking a family to Disney World for five days or for uh, for a week is certainly going to be more expensive. Mm -hmm. So as we're thinking about busting our myth, I think we would agree that uh, ruling out travel to Europe simply because you believe it is too expensive should be a myth that you bust. Challenge that for yourself and really question too expensive compared to what? So what is our budget? And Rebecca, I'd like your suggestion to check out some uh, travel sites to find good deals because if you're open to where you go in Europe um, maybe you don't hit the Eiffel Tower. Maybe you try uh, maybe a a less popular visitor spot for Americans um, and can get a a better flight deal or or better hotel deals. Mm -hmm. Testing that one? I (laughs) I like it. Okay so let's move on to travel belief number two. Um, Let's talk about cruising. Have you guys heard this one? Cruises are boring. There's nothing to do on the ship. Rebecca, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yes, actually a belief firmly held by my husband until uh, (laughs) I somehow baited him on to a cruise. I think Carrie Underwood performing at at the cruise, uh, helped get him there, (laughs) but yeah, he actually thought he would be bored to out of his gourd and that's, uh, the old uh, Midwestern phrase. And, um, cruise ships are so different. A friend of mine this week posted a picture of a cruise ship where they were doing a high diving act, like diving. I swear it was like four stories into this little tiny pool. Um, it reminded me of something that happened wow. at a little theme park here years ago, but I mean, there's ice rinks, there's wave pools. And for adults, there's um, casinos. There's the, like my husband and daughter took a sushi making class. There's learn to paint, listen to a lecture on this or that. Um, so much to do so many places to eat, uh, to drink, to party, um, great daycare for the kids. I mean, really you could fill your whole day up even on the ship, not to mention all the ports of call and such. So um, I, for us, I think it helped shape his thinking. It's um, definitely an easy way to see a lot and do a lot without having to um, have a lot of lag time in between, like driving to different destinations, unpacking, repacking, checking in and out of hotels. So, um, yep, I think it's a good option. I feel busted on it. What do you think, Michelle?
1: Yeah, I I think it depends on the person. So I would say I, I would bust this myth from the cruise that my mom and I took to Alaska. So it's not on one of those huge ships like you have in the Caribbean, because that's the only way that you can get To all the places in Alaska is on some of the you know more mid-sized ships but there was still plenty to do we only had one day that we were completely at sea and even on that day it was to see the inside passage where all the glaciers are and um, so I booked for my mom and me one of these like prime views and a lounge chair to be able to not have any obstructed views Um, being at the front of the ship. And so it was fun because they kind of made it a party there for everybody to hang out and see different things and take pictures and and stuff. So we weren't just mindlessly wandering around the ship during that time, we really had um, a good plan for it and really enjoyed our day. And there were things for us to do every evening. We were not bored, even though it was a little bit bit more limited. And I think about Sandy, the cruise that we were on going through French Polynesia, it was a tiny ship. And um, so there wasn't as much to do there, but there was entertainment and dancing each evening. There were games. There was a small and I never uttered the words, I'm bored at all. <laughs> now there's a whole group of us, and we can talk each other's ear off, <laughs> but I never uttered, um, I'm too bored to do this, and I would definitely go back and do either one of those cruises again. Absolutely.
0: That, I feel the exact same way. I feel like the cruise, the cruise industry has worked really hard to create a wide variety of activities and events on the ship whether it be the large mega cruise ships or, Michelle, like you said, we were on a Windstar sailing ship in French Polynesia, which is much smaller with only, I don't remember, 125 guests maybe on board. Um, They worked really hard to consider the desires and wants of a variety of people on the ship. And so there was always something to do, whether that was, um, you know, a, a a trivia game based on 80s music or if it was a, a, a book discussion, you know, where people were reading the same book and then coming together in a, a small area that they called the library to discuss the book they were reading. So um, I agree. I think wide variety of options. With that said, I recognize that there are some people who are absolutely freaked out by being on a boat. And it doesn't matter how many conga lines, bingo games, book discussions or or trivia opportunities there are in the ship, if being on the water in the middle of the ocean where you can see no land anywhere, Mm -hmm. see you out, it's probably good to consider, is this the right trip for me? But I think we can say the thought of cruises are boring period is probably a myth. Do you agree?
1: Yes. Busted. 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 (laughs) Fantastic. and my idea of how to make it happen is to go on your European vacation, where because it's so far away, you're gonna rack up all these airline miles and use those miles to then fly to your next cruise destination. Oh,
0: Sounds good. that's good. By Michelle, I like it. <laughs> Plan your next vacation while you're on the current one. I know. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of that motto.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so let's move on to travel opinion number three. Uh, it has to do with travel to Mexico. So I, as you guys know, recently enjoyed an absolutely fantastic trip to Mexico. But I got to tell you, I was really surprised and sort of taken aback by how many people who shared with me before the trip and then followed up with me after the trip with their concern about my safety. And they would ask me questions uh, beforehand, like, are you sure this is a good idea to go to Mexico right now? Um, And on the back end, when I came back safe and sound with a healthy glow and a big smile on my face, Mm -hmm. people's questions shifted to, did you feel safe while you were there? Now, I don't know exactly where the belief comes from that all travel to Mexico is unsafe. And I can only assume it has to do with media coverage about some specific incidents, terrible incidents that have happened in um, which has led Americans to being somewhat hesitant about travel south of the border. Um, I obviously had a really fantastic experience. I was in the area of Riviera Maya, which is uh, about an hour south of the Cancun airport in a heavily um, visitor visited area where tourism is, you know, the big industry, where Americans visit often. And so there's definitely some business drive behind that area of the country to ensure that Americans can get there and be safe and have a fabulous vacation. Um, I'm wondering if you guys have heard a- any of this hesitation as well. Any Americans saying, yeah, I don't know that I'm going to travel to Mexico on vacation this year. Rebecca, have you heard this one?
2: I have, and I do think it's fed a lot by social media and a couple of stories that end up just becoming kind of viral. Um, it's been a while since I've been to Mexico for pure leisure, but I'm there for work uh, once or twice a year. And um, I personally have felt um, quite safe in the areas that I've traveled to, which include driving through Tijuana by myself. Um, you know, I think you have to be smart, like any uh, area. In, foreign cities or, you know, U.S. large metropolitan cities, I think, have similar um, needs to just be on alert and, and pay attention. But no, I I wouldn't say it's any more um, unsafe than many parts of the U.S.
0: Yeah, I think you raise a, a good point, which is you got to be smart. You got to be aware of your surroundings when you travel anywhere, um, right. when you're outside of the country. Mm-hmm. I- I think utilizing some just safe uh, safety and awareness um, behaviors while you're traveling domestically or internationally is important. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now the U.S. State Department currently has Mexico rated as a level two travel advisory and this means that visitors should exercise extreme caution Um, while traveling to Mexico and further highlights that there are different areas of the country that are considered more unsafe than other areas. And those areas that are listed as most unsafe are due to violent crime associated with gang activity, which is certainly what none of us want to find ourselves in. Right. Or probably any of our listeners. The U.S. State Department goes on to recommend that American visitors use the following precautions. Um, And they say, first of all, Use toll roads when possible or use heavily trafficked uh, roads when driving. Avoid driving alone and avoid driving at night. Um, well, I don't personally um, travel to Mexico, rent a car, travel in the middle of the night across the country on a less trafficked road. So I, I certainly can follow that precaution. Right. Um, it also says exercise increased caution when visiting local bars, nightclubs, and casinos seems pretty fair. Um, I'm happy to do that. That wouldn't stop me from vacationing there. Uh, it says do not display signs of wealth, such as wearing expensive watches or jewelry or flashing any symbols that would represent wealth. I usually have on my swimsuit and probably not even a watch. So <laughs> pretty good there. And then it says, be extra vigilant when visiting banks or ATMs, which I think is true whether you're in Mexico or you are at the local yeah. branch of the bank down the street. Right. Um, so, as I took a look at the State Department's current warnings, coming, by the way, I didn't check this out until I came back from my Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> so many people were like asking me about it. I thought, how um, so coming back, I took a look at it. I, I read through, you know, looked at the map, looked at the areas of, of highest concern, read through the recommendations. And after reviewing them, I booked my next trip to Mexico in April. <laughs> Yay. So it is not slowing me down. We'll be um, traveling traveling to the uh, Cabo San Lucas, Los Cabos area on the Pacific side of Mexico. Mm, nice. Very nice. In April. So I certainly, uh, for me personally, am busting this myth to rule out travel to Mexico because it's too unsafe. How do you guys feel about
2: it? I agree. I feel busted by it. I also want to add just one tidbit, and I think you had brought this up before, Sandy, The State Department, when traveling really anywhere outside the U.S., suggests that you register with them. In that program, is it called STEP? I can't remember the name of yes, it. Yes, it's called STEP. Yeah. So, no matter where I go, I, I try and put that in so that if there is some local uh, violence or um, a, um, a weather related incident or earthquakes, et cetera, um, they know where you are and are able to help American citizens outside of America. So, I, I strongly recommend that, not just with Mexico, but, but any um, travel outside the U.S.
1: Yeah, it's a great tip. Great.
0: great recommendation. So for our listeners, STEP is an acronym that stands for SMART Traveler Enrollment Program, which you can roll in through the State Department site, and it will send you alerts um, in case there is something going on in the area you plan to travel to. So I think we all agree safety is important, and be aware of your surroundings, um, And take precautions as necessary, whether you're traveling to Mexico or anywhere else. Yes. But I'm totally busting that myth about Mexico. Yes, I agree. Okay. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to our uh, next travel belief. Um, So we know that for many of our listeners, we've been talking about international travel, but they're thinking about the potential for some domestic travel this year. The travel industry is continuing to evolve with new technology, new services, and new consumer options that are, seem to constantly be popping up. Although it's no longer technically considered new, um, I still hear people talk about their hesitation or their avoidance of using uh, Airbnb's Home Away or VRBO for renting accommodations. Maybe it's because they're, they think it's too complicated or maybe they're unfamiliar with the process. I'm not sure exactly what that's about. Um,
2: Rebecca, your thoughts? Yeah, I usually when I hear people concerned about Airbnb, um, they think it's going to be complicated to get an account and figure out the technology. Um, they worry about how they'll get into the place, um, so they don't assume there's a smart lock or something that, let you get in, um, easily electronically. So you have to meet up with someone. And then the third one I usually hear is around cameras. Will there be cameras in the home? Will they, they be recording mm-hmm. me? Is there an invasion of privacy? Um, with, the, I've probably stayed now in seven, eight Airbnbs across the globe. And I've not found any of those to be a challenge. I think it it was built to be a good user experience from an application and website perspective so that's been pretty seamless even in um, foreign language the hosts have been able to communicate because you can see if they speak English that's been pretty seamless Um, access into the buildings has been relatively seamless uh, because they do by and large have smart locks you don't have to hand off a physical key um, in order to get in and um, I'm I haven't researched it, but I I have to believe it's illegal for people to have uh, their surveillance on and and you not know where they are or how to disable them. Um, So I haven't researched that, but um, I haven't myself come into a situation where we found any kind of surveillance period, uh, let alone concerns that we were being surveilled without our knowledge.
0: So you've had good experiences.
2: All good. Yes. I think it's a great option, especially if you're traveling with a big family. Uh, we like to travel with my mom and dad and rather than having multiple hotel rooms and hanging out in the lobby, we've got a living room to hang out in and, you know, kitchen to have breakfast in. And honestly, we don't do a lot of our own cooking usually while we're traveling. That's kind (laughs) of uh, something we take a break on, but to have that option, to have a fridge there, um, it is so convenient compared to multiple hotel rooms. And, you know, I'm frugal, um, by, by and large, um, much less expensive. And it gets you into the culture a lot of times that more residential uh, way of, of being is uh, insightful for the family and just gets us a different experience. Yeah, totally.
0: I, too, like having the kitchen as an option, but I rarely use it. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> the chill <laughs> <Please>. wine. <Yeah. laughs> I'm happy to, yes. Eat up leftovers, but.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly how I use the kitchen in my vacation rental. (laughs) Michelle, how about you? Experiences with Airbnb, HomeAway, or VRBO?
1: I'm not stayed at Airbnb, but um, I have booked through HomeAway uh, and VRBO quite a bit. HomeAway actually owns VRBO. They own most vacation rental companies, and it's, it's very easy to use. In fact, my mom and I are planning a trip to go to a national park or two this year. And her comment at the end was, well, we need to make sure that we're staying some way, somewhere um, using away, so that we have access to, you know, washer and dryer. That way we don't have to pack as many clothes and a kitchen. That way we can pack because especially things like national parks or going to the beach, it's super convenient to be able to go and um, pack sandwiches and stuff so that when you're out in the middle of nowhere and you don't have access to restaurants and things like that, it makes it super easy to make that happen. And um, so oftentimes when my mom and I are traveling together, we don't cook in the evenings, but it does allow us to do lunches, very inexpensive, as well as breakfasts very convenient. Um, they always are either unlocked or tell you where the key is for you to find. And when we leave, the hardest part is that we have to take out our own trash And um, that seems like a really good trade-off to having a washer and dryer, a kitchen, everything for the same price as a hotel and being able to um, get it in some of the more remote places rather than having to get a hotel in a city and then drive 45 minutes or an hour to get to what we really want. So I think that depending upon where you're going, it's a much more convenient option and it certainly is cost-effective. So go mom. As long as I'm booking it, she's fine with it.
2: (laughs) I think yeah, that's a good point. That reminds me, um, too, when we've stayed at places near a beach, they've almost always provided a beach umbrella, the chairs, mm-hmm. a cooler to yeah. drag down. Yes. And so it does save you a lot in having to figure all that out. And frankly, I'm so over trying to fight people for chairs at resort properties that I would yeah. much rather be able to manage my own kind of situation um, from that perspective.
1: hmm.
0: Absolutely. So, if you had a, a friend or colleague who said, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know, I'm a little bit uncomfortable about trying to book through one of these uh, travel options, would you um, say, I'm going to challenge that? That might be a myth.
2: Busted.
1: Yeah, I would challenge it and say, busted. However, you should read the reviews for the places that you're going because sometimes I got a friend who was staying at an Airbnb and somebody was partying throughout the night. <laughs> like literally they had a party even while having guests there. And um, that would be helpful to know from a review. Same with VRBO. So I definitely look at those, but I would say yes, busted. Sometimes people do have a negative experience. So just knowing that before going in, just like any hotel though. Totally. So yeah. right. come back to travel smart.
0: Do yeah. you- search before you book, read those reviews, check out other people's uh, recommendations. Totally agree. Okay, so our last potential myth-busting opportunity for the day is a thought around transportation options, both while at home and while traveling abroad um, or traveling out of town. And it's about the option of using a, a travel service provider like Uber or Lyft. Uh, Michelle, I know that you use these transportation services, so I'm curious to know from your perspective, uh, what pros or positives do you see to using an Uber or Lyft travel option?
1: Um, Oftentimes, it's almost half the price of a cab, Mm -hmm. and um, so that's an appeal. It's easy to get an Uber or Lyft in some of the more remote locations. So Sandy, I can think about when you and I were vacationing in Austin and we were out pretty far, it would have taken a long time. We would have had to call quite a bit in advance to get a cab yeah. to take us where we needed to go, but we were able to get a lift there within five minutes. So that was super convenient. My mom and I also, when we were in Washington, D.C., as you guys know, kind of along the National Mall, things are um, all in one area, but they are pretty spread out. And we were there in the middle of the summer, it was hot. So I would look up how long it would take us to walk to our next destination. And if anything was over a mile walk, I would just Uber. Mm -hmm. down the road and you're stuck in traffic and everything so the nice thing is that you pay via the app on your phone so you don't have to do anything so literally if they're stopping at a stoplight you can hop out and you're done you don't have to try to pay with credit card or any of those things so it does make it really Convenient, I use it oftentimes for work so that I don't have to rent a car if I'm only going to be someplace for a day. It makes it so much easier to get to and from, not have to figure out how to navigate a city, not having to get my gas filled up with a rental car at the end of the day if my flight is close. And um, so I have ended up using it quite, quite a bit, going to the airport, things like that.
0: Definitely. For me, it's all about the convenience. It's about, I don't have to worry about calling someone. I don't have to look for a taxi cab phone number. Um, All I have to do is pull out my phone, tap on the app. I can see where the available cars are, how long it's gonna take them to get to me, and then choose if I want to order one or not. Um, I love that I don't have to pay for it in the moment with cash or a credit card. It automatically hits the credit card I have linked to my account. I can add tip, I can add reviews, I can, see who my driver is before they can, mm-hmm. I can see their name. I can see their photo. I know that the make and model of their car. I know the drivers um, or the license plate number of the car. For me, all of those things together create a sense of comfort that this isn't, I mean, when I take a cab, say from the airport, I'm just stepping off the curb into a car. I have no, I, I have no tracking information on What's the name of this company? What's the name of this guy? What's the license plate number? All that information is available, but the reality is I'm not thinking about that. I'm trying to communicate with this person about where it is I want to go. When I get into the Uber Lyft car, I have all this information at my fingertips, and I don't have to tell them where I want to go because it's already programmed in. And then there's the issue of him or her knowing where to go because the GPS directs them. Yeah.
2: Um, And that's the convenience is wonderful. That's especially helpful when there's a language barrier. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had more than my share of issues trying to explain where I'm headed. Yes. Um, But I, I also think that whole app experience encourages them to be courteous and want to get a good rating, right? Which um, I don't think cab drivers are necessarily uh, rewarded in that same way. And I would say in an from an airport perspective, I now almost exclusively take ride shares because what I've found is that the taxis are queued up for so long. And then when I only have to go maybe two miles because my hotel's near the airport, they are ticked at me. And I've got mm. cussed out in more than one language for <laughs> having to, have to wait an hour for me to only drive me five minutes. Um, and you know, that didn't get them much revenue and now they'd get back, get back in that queue and they're angry and I'm like, I don't know how this is my fault. And one of them was trying to tell me I should have taken the airport shuttle, um, the, the free hotel one, which I didn't know oh, existed, wow. but it was almost like you shouldn't even have been my customer. And an Airbnb person has never, I mean, a an Uber person has never done that to me. Why did you waste yeah. my time with such a short ride? So yeah. I'm a fan for that reason. And I don't think there are safety issues because of that trackability. Yes, yes, there have been horrible, terrible situations that have happened. I think that could happen no matter the mode of transportation, honestly. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it comes back to being a smart traveler, right? Mm -hmm. Which seems to be the theme theme. behind all of our Mm -hmm. busting um, that we've done. (laughs) Uh, Thanks ladies for talking with me today about some of these common travel beliefs and uh, busting some of those myths with me. Uh, For those out there who might be thinking about your next travel adventure, we encourage you to challenge your fears or any hesitations that you may be experiencing. Do your research, be a smart traveler, seek out others opinions, but then make an educated decision for yourself about how to move forward. Our wish for you is there to live the life that you've always wanted.
2: Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Lead, Travel, Pray. Please drop us a comment and let us know what you liked from today's chat. Also, please give us a rating in your favorite podcast platform and share this with a friend today. As you know, it's a fun hobby for Rebecca, Michelle, and Sandy and your positive and constructive feedback is very much appreciated as we learn through this fun experiment with technology if you're interested in hearing more from us please look us up on www.leadtravelpray.com and follow us on twitter at leadtravelpray until next time we hope you prosper through leadership travel and prayer